I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast. The podcast all about classic and obscure war movies, from the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords. If it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Welcome back once more to the Fourth Pod, everybody. Today we have yet another special guest joining us. We welcome historian and Khaki Malarkey podcaster host Olivia Smith onto the show. Olivia, we're so pleased to have you here. Oh, welcome. Hi, guys. I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> That's great. So we are going to be talking about 2014's Testament of Youth. It is based in the, the Great War, First World War, whatever parlance you use. So we'll, I think we'll rattle through the cast, we'll do production, then we'll get into the meat of it. So Matt, would you like to go through cast a little bit for us quick? Sure. So I suppose the most important character of all is Vera Britton, our titular character, uh, played by Alicia Vikander, who I thought was rather good in this. Mm. Um, she, she does really well, considering she's Swedish, I believe. You can hear twangs of her accent, though, at some points, can't you? There's a little bit where yeah. she shouts daddy when they're in the train, train station and you think, hmm? Yeah. Not quite, yeah. But she does really well. A little bit of production, jumping ahead. The character could have been played by uh, Saoirse Ronan. Have been interesting conflicted with brooklyn at the time wasn't it mm. i think it's a really strong cast you've got uh kit harrington as roland layton colin morgan as victor richardson who does a really good job in this i think mm. come a long way since merlin yeah <laughs> yeah that's very true <laughs> tyron egerton as uh, edward britain uh, vera's brother dominic west as mr britain the father you have emily watson as their mother Joanna Scanlon as Aunt Belle, who has like a almost comedic sort of matronly little role in there. And then we have the brilliant Hayley Atwell, who plays Hope, who is a veteran nurse. She's great. At a tapler. And then we have Jonathan Bailey as Jeffrey uh, Thurlow, who comes in towards the end. It's a great cast. Miranda Richardson as well. Yes. As the, is it the housemaster at Oxford? 
Miss Lorimer. It's just a really strong ensemble cast, and you've got Taron Edgerton's making his cinematic debut in it. You've got you know Kit Harrington cut his teeth on Warhorse at the time. He's astronomically famous for Game of Thrones and still is. A great ensemble of really, really strong British actors. Criminal underuse of Emily Watson and Dominic West. But when they have to do the emotional punch, they really do bring it. And I yeah. think that, that's why that st- cast is just so strong. Yeah, it's it's almost in that vein of, of sort of like classic British character movies where the whole cast is, you know, like a solid character actor background and they do like a really good job within the confines of what they have to work with i think that's what you really needed for this film though it had to be so character strong because really that is the essence of the film and the rest of it is just the context to their kind of stories isn't it yeah so to go through production a little bit it's uh it's a big screen adaptation of of vera's uh, memoirs testament of youth uh, astronomically faint like a really famous book reprinted hundreds of times by probably by now originally it was a mini series done by the bbc in 1979 and it was produced by bbc films and heyday films they're known for uh, heyday's known for producing the harry potter movies and uh, once upon a time in hollywood more recently Wow. Directed by James Kent, and the budget is ten million dollars, and it makes just around half that, five point three. Could be re- regarded as a bit of a flop, uh, money-wise, mm. but critically, it it did really well. It passed me by when it first came out. I I didn't. Yeah, it did to pick me up on it well. that it was even in cinemas. So perhaps the, the the sort of promotion around it didn't. I don't think it did. I'm the first time I watched it when it was on Netflix. So oh, right, okay. It definitely that was. I was like, oh, this looks interesting. Totally. And had no clue about it before. I watched yeah, it, I... I think, maybe four months ago when it was on iPlayer. I think it was on BBC Two and it, it, it came up and I watched it with my, my partner and she fell asleep because it was quite late on, but I enjoyed it. I, I watched the whole thing and I had never seen it before and I thought, oh, what's this? It's a, it looks like it's a war drama. So I left it on and I was I was quite impressed. I mean, I'd heard of Fear of Britain before, but I hadn't really, I hadn't read the book to my shame, so... Yeah, I've not read it either, but I obviously heard of it. And I hadn't seen the movie. I didn't even know the movie existed until... Oh, really? Yeah, until um, Olivia expressed an interest over over social media to come on the show. And I was like, oh, I've not heard of that one. So I, I'm the sort of virgin eyes of this one. I've not seen it before. But yeah, as I say, it was, it was filmed in the UK, London, Norfolk Moors. It was filmed on Vera's family estate, I think, as well. And oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, yeah. For the trench scenes, as they used Vera's estate as well in, in Derbyshire, I think it is. Oh, somewhere okay. out there. Yeah. Mm. And the cinematography was by Rob Hardy, who um, went to do Ex Machina with um, Alicia Vikander as the, as I think she played the the robot in that. I've not, I've not seen Ex Machina. Oh, God, no. It doesn't matter. We're not, we're I not think, serious. I think so. It's been a while since yeah. I, I've seen Ex Machina. But yeah. Other genres of movies don't count on this part. <laughs> I think the most interesting thing out of the whole production thing is that the, the, script, the, the script was actually written or adapted from the book by Juliet Tau, Tauhidi, I think her name is pronounced. And she did uh, Calendar Girls. Oh. oh, wow. Back in 2003. And That's a great uh, Death Comes to Pemberley in 2013 so she's she's got quite an interesting uh career but yeah calendar girls i was like oh okay that's interesting that's quite a leap this is quite yeah a leap it's very different girls. isn't it mm. and then the, the best thing i found from production was kit harrington's three thousand pound wig <laughs> so it, it was a, a book written um about uh testament of youth and how it affects culture and the the guy who's writing the book 
he, he says Kit Harrington was contractually obliged not to cut his hair. So they, they had to spend all this money making this wig to make it look like he had a short back and sides. You couldn't I, tell, though. You, could you not can't tell. tell. Yeah. That's £3,000 you know, well spent. Definitely. Yeah, it really was yeah. well spent. That's production, really. I think we should get into the meat of the plot, really, and how we felt about, about it. This, yeah, oh, so much to talk about. Olivia, you're the guest. Please dive in. I don't know about you guys, and I've rewatching it again. I feel like I watched it with such a critical eye, and I felt like mm-hmm. I really honed in on the plot this time. Welcome to our world, yeah, and, definitely. <laughs> oh, I loved it though. I felt like I was really getting into the nitty gritty of the film, like I because I did um, Testament of You for my dissertation, and so I watched it countless of times anyway. And if it's on, I'll always watch it. But this time yeah. felt different. And obviously the, the plot kind of is meant to span over the period of the war from 1914 to 1918, looking at her experience of the war. And I felt there was a lot of attention obviously given from 1914 to 15. Like yeah. pretty much I'd say half the film is that yeah. like, I felt it was quite slow actually watching it again and realizing that they have to build these characters up. They have to build like the de- Vera's determination of wanting to go to Oxford, you know, how she's a defiant young woman and her kind of key relationships are the ones that she kind of maintains at home that Edward brings. And so that is introducing her to Roland and to Victor and how she then establishes a life with war. I found that mm. was kind of an interesting bit in the plot and it builds slowly. Like I thought it was really interesting. She's in Oxford I don't want to obviously give too much away for people to watch it, but I've seen many people have. Oh, no, it's fine. Go in, go in as much depth as you want. So there she is. She's in Oxford. And I, the one thing There's I There's going to have to be spoilers. Yes, we're going to have loads of spoilers. Spoiler alert for a book know. that what came you... out in the 30s, everyone, you know. If you've not read the book by now, that's not our fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I find, like, they kind of trickled in the fact that it was then war, you know, with the newspapers. I would wonder yeah. if you guys picked up on that. It was like little subtleties of when her and Roland were chaperoned by the aunt were in London, then she puts the newspaper down and said, like... Britain at war mm. and it's like they've declared war and then another one. Oh, it's just like kind of little signifiers because you didn't really know at what point yeah, I if found you don't that know jarring. the story, you don't know, did you? Yeah, it really jarred me because I'm like I the First World War really bad, like like we probably all do, you know, hear that today, but it jarred me a little bit because I was like, Where are we then? Like yeah. it was okay, Franz Ferdinand's been shot, that's that was the exactly, given was yeah, you know, start. that's that's before the war starts. Then by the time that Roland's dead, I'm like, what is it? Is it 1918? Is it what year yeah. is it? It could be any year. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't say. It. And then when she goes to Ert Apples, it decides to have a, a title card saying, "Oh, it's 1917." Ert Apples. 1917, exactly. And I'm sitting there going, "Well, that the context is really important because these these are real men mm. that died. They're not fictional characters. They were real men. They deserve at least deserve yeah. the you know time stamping of their death because it's I think it's a little bit unfair on them. Really, they're sort of at times, uh, Kit Harrington, I think it's just, uh, uh, it was a reviewer I was reading it, said it's the best um, acting role they've seen him in. And I would agree with that. I think he's, wow. he's yeah. really he's good. Just, he's incredible. I say this from having studied it. I've got this weird emotional relationship to Roland and all them lot from studying them so mm. much anyway. And for me, I think he is a perfect Roland. Like from what I've read, you know, there's a book his mum wrote. It's called Boy of My Heart. And it's actually unpublished. But you read that. And to me, then watching how Vera speaks about him, as mum spoke about him, I really feel like Kit captured this kind of like, oh, I just, I can't describe it. I honestly think he's, one of the most wonderful characters yeah, he is. on film I've probably yeah. watched. He, he does bring a lot of weight to that role. Now, he's the most interesting yeah. out of the three men. I think because... 
but then yes. all, but then they all get overshadowed yeah. before because Jeffrey. Uh, this is what really annoys me is Vera had an incredible re- relationship with Jeffrey. You know, who's a religious man wanted to go join the cloth, but he didn't. Ended up in the army, and he's very good friends with Edward. There's a lot of speculation on him and Edward's actual relationship, yeah. anyway. But she was very very close to him, and his and this that really annoyed me because like his death everything you don't even really know he died you have to kind of suss it out i find mm. that edward's crying and you're like oh oh jeffrey's dead like it's not really said about and again that follows with the chronology like victor was injured on the somme goes blind but he dies in 17 jeffrey's dies in her ass and edward dies in 1918 but that's again is put into a space of what i think half an hour yeah all the, all yeah. the yeah they they rattle through it's them really don't they? quick it, I'm like let the let 1916's gone. Yeah, I think the idea there is it's to to give the audience some idea of the impact that it's having on it because it's hitting yeah. hard each time. Mm. And I think the only way that they could get that into the script why was by having them all so close to one another. Mm. Whereas in reality that just wasn't the case. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a good dramatic effect. There's a lot of that in this film. There's a lot where they've changed things to make sure that it flows in a cinematic way. Yeah, you know, so they completely remove any mention of her being in Malta. She was there for what, like six to eight months, a whole year, a whole year. So that's entirely gone from the plot. You know, there's a whole. Wasn't she torpedoed on the way in as well? The ship she was on. Yeah, I think. Yeah, she didn't have an easy time out there. Obviously, you know. No, no. When you read Testament View, that is a really interesting part of it. And to me, you kind of think, why would they cut this out? But I think. You know, cinematic purposes, but also familiarity, I think, for the viewer is you recognise the Western Front more when you think of the First World War than you would thinking of Malta. I think you could have a whole film itself on Vera and Malta, Mm. which would serve better rather than incorporating all. In the 79 version, there isn't isn't a Malta section, I don't think. I suppose it's an easy part to just remove, isn't it? Yeah, it's a shame, though, because I think the the book I was reading, that the chapter about making the movie that the the author does say, you know, it's a budgetary restraint. And he says it would have cut through the more drab parts of the movie that don't quite flow very well. It would have been nice to have maybe, you know, using a sweeping shot of Malta and then getting a set somewhere. It would have been a nice little change for a film that's trying to beat the drum of, oh my God, the First World War was awful. Look what happened to all these young people that had their lives completely changed forever doesn't show the global aspect of it enough no it doesn't Mm. but it hones in on the familiarity and i think that is what is quite the success of the film is even have a basic understanding and a basic knowledge of the first world war the film is very familiar in its imagery and i think that's a very clever directional style you know roland going off to the front 1914 you're then left with like all the women at the train station waving them off and you can just see the images of that and there's there's then the scene of him in the trenches and when the camera pans all the individual soldiers which i'm looking at my books now oh there's this one you know that image of them in passchendaele that jeffrey's um pools of gold speech is re- it, like exact mm. to that yeah and they do and show that and yeah they show that bit of- that, and then there's also the like that one of that famous image yeah the sunken lane yeah that one so that that one of them the sunken lane reminded me when the camera pans to roland and it pans to the next soldier and the next soldier there was a lot of familiar essences in it i think for the viewer if you're watching it and you don't know so much about the war 
you're going, well, I understand because this is exactly how I'm imagining the First World War would have been like. It's like a greatest hits of the Great War syndrome. And I think some movies, yeah. some movies are really sort of drunk on it where you get war horse. It's like, we have to show tanks. We have to show gas. We have to have machine guns and cavalry. Oh my God, war's carnage. And then you get this one where it's just like, we'll try and just show enough to get the iconography. But I, some, yeah. I think the film is a little bit guilty of not doing enough by those men to show them changing you know it would have been nice to have a few more sequences of Roland in the trenches seeing what he went through and it's a it's a snapshot glimpse and it's enough and you know that they're in their Brodies I didn't didn't really think they should have been in Brodies there weren't that many at the front but possibly they could have had them it's a really nitpicky little thing in 1915 well they had them but they didn't have enough of they didn't in 1915 I'll tell you that now yeah not a lot should have been field service caps I think so yeah that is one of those things that you have to hit Mm. it's people instantly recognise that putties and Brodie tin hat sort of image of the British Tommy in World War One. so if you present a film where everyone's wearing you know field service caps then it it doesn't automatically make the audience think of of World War One. yeah so I think again it's hitting those those World War One tropes almost definitely those things that spark cultural memory yeah and I think that's that's where that comes in that's one of the, the points where it kind of falls down a little bit on the accuracy side in order to hit one of those yeah there was some awful um, um, going on like lads with small packs with nothing in and large packs with nothing in and I'm like it's a really small thing and I notice it more because I used to reenact it and it always just pissed me off when you see someone with like nothing in their small pack and I'm like these lads are going off the war in 1914 they'd be laden with kit they wouldn't just have their 08 webbing on they'd have like the kit bags and yeah everything else and it was like enough to be competent but I wanted a little bit more and I think it's probably a budgetary restraint and also it shows it's not, wasn't a priority. No, it didn't feel like it. In yeah. the film either. Yeah. You know, they, they captured the essence of what they want to talk about in that one message. Yeah. But they weren't too fussed about really expanding on the rest. Whereas, you know, what we really see. And I imagine if someone said like Taff was on the film, he'd make sure that they were perfect yeah. and yeah. everyone would be kitted I out said, to I said that tea. exactly to Rob. Yeah. Wasn't, if Taff yeah. was on the film, yeah, you could tell Taff was not. I looked at the, 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 the chap who did the military costuming it richard cook i mean do it. it's not an awful job don't get me wrong you know i've seen no, no, no. seen a hundred times worse the movie does save up its budget and i think it saves up the set dressing for that air tapple mm. sequence which is oh it's incredible really great. that crane shot beautiful you know, mm. the crane shot i remember reading about that and how, i think he really did want to capture that horror it's so gone with the wind yeah, like he really wanted to show a scale, a magnitude. You, you see the physical mud, mm. you've got the death, you've got every, all the kind of popular connotations of the First World War. It's just in one shot. The one thing that really has pissed me off about that scene is the Edward bit. So it's not true. Right, no. It's not true at all. Vera did not see Edward when she was in France. The bit where she's like, I will wait for you every Sunday. She did. She waited for him. She wanted the hope that she'd meet him. But they never got the chance to. When the letter, he said that he went by Roland's grave and he was able to because he was in France. But this is again where the kind of chronology mixes up again. Mm, like Because yeah, he yeah. was, Edward was on the Somme. It's where he got his MC and everything. I think if I'm correct, he did go over to Passchendaele because he had a year off. So he's at home. He was injured for a year, went back. I think he did the third Eep and then went over to Italy. 
so he never had the chance to meet up with Vera and it's such a dramatic purpose that they made it be like one of the bodies they found was Edward and that really does get me because Mm. it's just not true in the slightest whereas a lot of it I find I know there's little elements we've said okay some webbing or kit bits that aren't completely accurate but in terms of the story I find that they try to keep as accurate as possible and there's even in the script it's very clever that a lot of the wording is actually what was said in letters Mm. so there's when Jeff I think when Victor dies there's a bit where Edward says to Vera and she's like the son of that memory never sets and there's this beautiful letter that he did write and that's featured in it and you know Roland's kind of when he says he's going off to front he's like I've got this dust and ashes feeling this is all extracts from the letters and even the very very beginning the first poem that Roland sends I can never pronounce it Vian Villanville something like that but it's like down the long white road we walk together down between the grey hills and the heather that lovely one and when you see Alicia hold Alicia or how are we saying it I say Alyssa Alicia I think it might be Alicia yeah Alyssa Alicia we know who we're talking about Vera Vera and she holds it and I've looked I haven't actually had the chance to see any of his letters yet I'm going to Oxford this year and there's the whole Vera Britain archive Oxford which you can obviously go and I really want to hold like one of his letters that's Mm. my thing but when I have seen them I think what they're very I know um, Alicia said that during filming is that she had I think either must have been a copy because I can't imagine she would have been allowed to have his actual letters maybe in her pocket (laughs) but she said for that emotional kind of purpose she had them with her but the signing that they did which I think is a really interesting prop is the Roland signing is the exact same as his and so you can kind of see it she's lying down on the bed and she's like holding the poem and you can mm. see like signed off as Roland is exactly his handwriting so I think those elements are really good how they wanted to try keep accuracy within the story mm. and it's very because obviously that it's so emotive everything about these characters is just emotional yeah my other bugbear is George Catlin George Catlin is who she married the soldier in the film is not who was in the casualty clearing station with Roland. She hunted this man down and Vera practically stalked him for a year. So you see that scene when she goes to the hospital where he's being there and he tells her the stuff, you know, they really, she wanted to have an answer. I think she really wanted to believe that Roland's last words were something for her. Yeah. I think she was kind of romantic in her. Yeah, she really wanted that. And obviously it wasn't. And it was lying on this hillside for six days has made me incredibly stiff. That is what Roland said. But she didn't want to believe it. And so she stalked this guy practically for a year after. Um, but in the film, for some reason, they say it's the guy, George Catlin, who she ends up marrying in the 20s. And I, that's, that's quite the I, liberty, that, isn't I it? I don't really? understand why. And like her daughter, Shirley Williams, was on set a lot and had a lot of like consulting within this film. And I'm thinking, why did Shirley even sit back and go, yeah, that's fine, just say that was my dad yeah, when it wasn't? It's a bit dram- too much dramatic license there. I think that if we're talking about bugbears, yeah. the one the one glaring thing that really ticked me and Matt off when we were watching it was mm. the mention of Spanish flu in, on oh, the train. Oh, you said this to me. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that until I watched it again and was like, oh, yeah. she says it, the aunt says it when they're sat yeah. in the train station and yeah. Roland's ill. And I was thinking, but Spanish flu only came about in the 1918, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, and it's, it's really odd. She specifically says there's influenza ripping through the troops Yeah, at the moment. Mm. And it's, it's, I mean, there were flus that move through troops because it's, it's oh, a typical. very yeah, virulent virus, yeah. isn't it? So 
it might be something else, but the way that it's delivered very much hints at that it's Spanish flu. Mm. It's that Great War Syndrome or, thing coming through, early. isn't it? It's that you it have is. to have They're something. trying to hit a mark that yeah. they don't need to hit. It's weird. No. And apparently there's a bit where a nurse drops an iPhone. I think it's a mirror. It, I was looking up goofs <laughs> and I saw I watched the sequence a few times and Vera Vera goes off a duckboard at the at Apples and a nurse sort of has, has a box of, of medical accoutrement, whatever, and she sort of swerves by Vera and something falls out of her pocket. I think it's a mirror, but apparently everyone goes, Oh, it's an iPhone. And I'm like, I don't I don't think it's. A, oh, I don't think it's. I didn't notice that. I couldn't. Yeah, point I that feel out like the surely they would have edited that. That's what I thought. If it was obviously yeah, an. It just looked like a mirror, but it was weird to see it. Once you, once you see it, I watched it a couple of times, and I was like, "Yeah, that's weird to keep that in," you know. But can we talk about how good Hayley Atwell is in her ten minutes on screen? Oh my god! How great Hope is she? Milroy. It's brilliant. And when you read the book, and you know, Hope Milroy is quite iconic in it as well and especially I don't know if you notice when Vera first arrives at a tablet and the nurse is like oh you're with Hope Milroy good luck and it's not like good luck being here it's like good luck you're with Hope you yeah. know it, she was very much like this I would say I think they downplayed the character a bit but I still feel Hayley did an incredible job of making her seem very like high maintenance uptight and quite like that type of person I think if you were working with her she'd get on your nerves mm but you would end up loving her in the end. And Vera does. And I think it was just an incredible portrayal. Really great. Really yeah, very competent. Mm. Yeah. That's the kind of vibe that you get from her. Is, is her character, obviously from, from the book and the letters, is she a veteran of the Boer War? Is that right? Is that her? Or is that someone else? Oh, well, she might be. Because there is someone that I Vera worked with that was a volunteer nurse during the Boer War. Yeah. And I think she, I think it was at a tap. Yeah, I think it might have been her, to be I, honest. I just got yeah. that vibe. I can't remember Hayley exactly. Atwell, mm, but she I, does give that vibe mm, that she's she a does. knowledgeable nurse. She's she's commanding this yeah. hut. You know, it, it, she may, she's head nurse. Like, I don't really know the whole hierarchy within that, no, but sure. this is her domain. Put a dressing on that dirty hun. I like the, the wordplay of her sequences because it was like, She's digging the Germans a little bit and she's also doing her job, which was just nice. I mean, Hayley Atwell was brilliant. I think she steals the, those scenes a little bit when she's in them. I, I really liked her kind of, seems so nonchalant. You know, Vera's there with this German soldier and he's dying and she's just revealed that she can actually speak fluent German. And then he dies and she just kind of gets up in a stall, opens a window and she's like, just let a soul out. Mm. You know, got to let the yeah. soul out. And I yeah. think that was quite like, like, I thought it was very captivating of that scene I found I actually kind of was like yeah let let that soul out I felt I literally felt there was fresh air going through in that scene I think Hayley is the fresh air and that element Mm. she contrasts so well to Vera as well and I think that's why it works perfectly if you had someone so similar to Vera I don't think it would have yeah definitely I I think that scene's one of my favorites I think if they'd if they'd had a little more of a, a tapler because one of the things that annoyed me a little bit about the film is we don't really, we, we aren't signposted about where she is. So she goes from a hospital in Britain and then there's the chaps come home on leave and then she's at another hospital and then she's in France. Mm. Yeah, they do. So she starts off in Buxton. She started off at a hospital, but that's not shown in the film. So she no. starts off at Buxton there and then she goes to like, I think it's like number, I'm going to probably get it wrong. Like I want to say 17 or something. And I think it's in Camberwell or I don't know. Yeah, it's definitely London, one of the but, London ones. But yeah. She, yeah, she goes, she's in London basically. And then she kind of, I think she just go to a couple hospitals. Well, obviously she goes to Malta, then she comes back, then she goes to France, then she comes back. So, 
we don't know that mm. exactly and in addition to that it doesn't the film doesn't even touch on the fact that she resigned and then came back and the reason they took her back on was because she explained that she was she'd resigned to to look after and marry someone who'd been invalided but they died obviously yeah. being victor yeah um because he dies so but quick, none of that's, doesn't he? None of that's really mentioned. They don't get room to breathe. The, the yeah, chest. They don't, but he's they there don't. for a year. Yeah. It, I think mm. it's, it's long. You know, he's injured on the Somme. This kind of happens, and I forget because he died in 1917. So for some reason, in my head, I was like, oh yeah, you know, him and Jeffrey were so close. So I was like, actually, no, he got injured quite early, mm. and this is what happened to him, and he did die. I can't remember if Vera. I feel like, as you said, she took a time off from nursing. If she was actually there or not when he died. I, I can't know. remember that, but I know I he know. died in Brighton that. because that's where yeah. he's buried. That's where his family and stuff are from. So he's the only one of the three who, of the four, who was actually buried in the UK. Mm. But they again, don't I really think that's overlooked. It clear how he actually dies either. So mm. he seems fine. He's recovering. He's blinded, obviously, but he's he's he seems to be recovering. And then the next Flick minute in the he's, head. he's gone what is what must that be my basic medical knowledge wants to say it's like a brain aneurysm yeah i think what I'm it was pretty sure it, was, it was um oh. a, a ruptured cerebral abscess i read somewhere yes so, that sounds so, very familiar so something obviously you know had been damaged when he was injured and it took that whole year yeah. and then it just i just it killed him because there's not a lot you can do about that kind of thing especially mm. not in 1917 yeah but the film does not do a very good job of explaining that that was what killed him. So it just, yeah. the film sort of suggests that he just has gas blindness. Yeah. So they, they could have, there's certain parts of the film that they. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part for every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I didn't really notice, what to be fair, a little bit clearer. Blind. I don't know why I didn't pick up on it. I think because you'd assume that maybe he'd have all the bandages over, but because you yeah. could actually see his eyes, yeah, it's like you have to maybe like really listen in. Mm. Mm. And if like, even still, it's not very clearly stated that Victor's blind kind of yeah. thing. You well, don't really see him with the stick or anything that you would naturally yeah, associate I think that's why. with a blind yeah. person. It's so short though. So mm. yeah, there's not really much time to explain it. And didn't you say, Rob, that he went and spent time he with did, the actor. some troops that have been blinded? Yeah, in there, was a, there was a charity, I forget the name veterans charity and he he worked with them for a while getting the characterization right and he he was blindfolded and treated the same way um for a, de- a few days so he could get into the character and then i almost wonder if it's one of these films where there's a lot left on the cutting room floor and there are a lot more oh, there's so much yeah, and I, there are a lot more sequences with the three chaps because 
I think they get done a bit dirty because I, I would hope that they would just expanded their roles a little bit after they go off to war because obviously it's 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 about the a movie about the effects of war not warfare itself but it would have been nice to, just a little bit to see how Roland was changed that 10 second sequence in the trench for me is just not enough no you need to convey I mean, that. he changed Roland so much that he converts to Catholicism oh, wow. I mean like you know so Roland oh, like I think this was just before he died but like he did he wasn't Catholic before and they found out after he died that he changed mm. to Catholicism and it's on his headstone because his his cross is obviously larger for the Catholic cross and stuff and it does and I think that's one of the one of my other bugbears but I did like how when he comes back and she sees him and it wasn't a surprise that he had come home you know they, he come home I think one of his first visits and practically did a tour of England so they went so R- Roland's house and this is my only other bug well another bugbear is that that beautiful house on the cliff and everything is not obviously where it was <laughs> yeah. I grew up in the house next to where Roland oh, wow. lived I oh, never wow. knew about it until I read the memoir wow. and so I'm reading it and she's like yeah we visited so 1915 they came up and they basically came up like here to Suffolk then they went over to Leicester then they went up to like somewhere else to meet Edward went over to Buxton they did such and he got influenza then again because it was so much traveling but that was another kind of bugbear of mine knowing it was like this, he lives in this beautiful turret house on the cliff. So it's kind of right, but obviously it's not going to be the same here. Mm. That scene feel like it's just a weekend, like a snatched leave. Yeah, don't they, they do. Yeah, they yeah. do. But him coming back and he seems so like war torn. And I think another familiarity I think they wanted to maybe show for the viewers that like element sort of like shell shock. To me, yeah. that's, that's how I think Especially when he on, sort like of his... tumbles her off, her sho- off his yeah. shoulder, you know. That's quite intense. I really like that. You know? You know, I think, did you? Yeah, I thought, Kit was, I thought Kit did a really good job of conveying a damaged man because he definitely seems yeah, a lot completely. different because he's really chipper before he leaves. I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow for the front. You know, he's really keen, you know, to go and do his bit. Yeah. It's classic Edwardian. Yeah, you know, young I won't let isn't other it, really? men do my service for me, you know, all that sort yeah. of language. Yeah. I, I you know, appreciate them putting it in there because it showed the sort of attitude of, of young men at, at that time. Mm, and then he, he does seem different. He's colder. He's a lot more, he doesn't say as much, you know, he's he seems like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders and then you, you read in his letters that he's sort of trying to play it all down and I I really did like it and that's mm. why I just wish they'd have just done a bit more with him because I was like he's really there's, important there's so much more oh there's so much more they could have explored with Roland do you know what the one thing I love so much is his poetry like how they really that is so powerful mm. Plug, Plug Street Wood was not the one that was found in his belongings when they did it she Vera had I'm pretty sure Vera had that before it yeah. was the poem that was read at the end that was the one that was in his belongings though but I right. think for dramatic effect again Plug Street Word is just so personal as well mm. it's like what you mean to me love and hope and life and you and how it's all bodied within this kind of imagery of the war I think again is another familiar aspect for the viewer of poetry mm. which is so traditional when we understand the first world war it's kind of an element I think that escapes the viewer in that you think oh Roland's so poetic it's wonderful but really it's kind of like a familiar nod to like Sassoon or Wilfred yeah. Owen or all those other yeah. ones that people Most know definitely. as well yeah I like what they do in the in the 79 series where they play over stock footage and um, pictures yeah. I really found that really powerful I wish they'd have replicated that in the film a bit more 
or even showed the guys yeah. a bit more of the just them actually in the trenches. Just a tiny perhaps. little bit, you know, because it because I'm you know, perhaps him writing it. That would be nice. Yeah, things yeah. Are going thinking on, about him in Plug Street words yeah, there been, doing it. Been really good because I I watched the behind the scenes still featurette, and, and Kit Harrington says, "Oh yeah, well they they dressed me up in the uniform." And, and we filmed for about half an hour and that was my time in the trenches and it wasn't it awful and for these lads. And I'm thinking, what, you filmed half, half an, hour? an hour? Like, come on. <laughs> well, that was his point in that section, though, because they were, they were they had artificial rain on them and he was saying, like, how uncomfortable he was in that half an hour, let alone spending a prolonged time mm, there. Yeah. You know. And he, he makes a point in that... Um, with 38 Wibbly. Sorry to steal your point, Rob. Sorry, right, he kind right. of he, he makes a point um, of saying that he felt the weight of portraying someone who was a real person because yeah. he'd never portrayed someone who wasn't a fictional character before. Mm. Of course. Oh, that's interesting, actually. Mm. It's kind of nice to hear that from the actor, I think. Yeah, I think like, they all did their, they all seemed to do their research into the character a lot because they all, in that featurette, yeah. they all talk about how, you know, it's something that they, they take for granted in their day to day. It was nice for them to go back and portray that, which is always nice yeah. to hear from actors in a historical role when, you know, it's it's just nice to have that because you think, okay, you've done your due diligence, you've done some research. You actually then it's care. more than a job. Yeah. yeah, exactly, which is nice. And obviously this comes out in the 100th anniversary of, of 1914, the war starting anyway. So it it was good. It was a good intentioned film. I like that as well. to me and this is why I really looked at it in my like my dissertation is the fact that this is placed in the context obviously of the centenary and at this point the war memory is so different to obviously what it would have been in 1918 Mm. you know 1918 they didn't think of it as like you know they were labeling it the great war still it wasn't really even called the first world war until the second world war kicked off you've got this I've touched upon it already it's like you know blood mud futility poetry donkeys veterans has all kind of snowballed from 1918 to now and what we're left with is this popular dominant narrative of the war and that film I think actually taps into it really well I mean Vera's so obviously this mem the film's based on the memoir which is written in 1933 so this is a long time after Vera Mm. I think she starts writing it around 29 28 29 but even still it's a good 10 odd years after and she does use her own wartime diaries but when you read her wartime diaries it's so different to the book because at that point now you've got her pacifist sentiments coming out you've obviously got her reflection of how war is awful and it's ghastly and the loss that she faced is just so awful too which is completely understandable because it's something i I hope none of us today will ever have to experience and will have to relate to Vera on that point. But then I think the film then uses those popular, as we mentioned before, familiar narratives. And that's what's really honed in on throughout it all. And that's, that's the familiarity. And I think that makes the, the narrative a real personal level to mm. the modern viewer. When did she become a pacifist? Oh, like in the twenties, she joined yeah. like the Freedom Peace. Is it the Freedom, is it Peace, Freedom League? Peace Union? Union, yeah. What a lot. There's a lot of those the, going yeah. about in the twenties, yeah. and she did join some of them in the thirties as well. Obviously, as the Second World War's broke, you know, she was on Hitler's black book that if the Nazis ever invaded the UK, that they were the first people she's going to get because she was so outspoken oh, wow. against oh, my bombing. Word. She was Bumped on Hitler's black coward. book. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, and like my my grandmother, so she grew up in Hamburg uh, in Nazi Germany. There's a Vera Britten kind of walk and Vera Britten train station named there because she was so outspoken against the bombing of Hamburg wow. that when I said to my nanny I was doing this like looking at very British she's like oh my god I know this woman how incredible she is so her legacy and she, I think, by bombing was it was that a pamphlet during the war I think yeah this is it yeah she had bombing, the pamphlet yeah. and obviously you know she was very outspoken and rightfully so from what she'd see and I think we get that mm. you know what she'd been mm. through the fact that she can so I can't imagine that being a nurse and I think huge mm. credit to all of our anyone who's a nurse or who has the face of death like that German soldier just dying and then she's able to pick herself up and just like deep breath let's go on to the next one you think takes incredible courage yeah yeah again it's that that's interesting because the film obviously compacts that into it's just after the war she runs Mm. into George Kaplan yeah oh the speech thing really good a lot of them she was she's not popular Oxford when she got back she was not a popular character (laughs) at all but she did a lot of those well I really like that ending it was really empowered like I sort of I felt like the, the characterization came out of her shell a little bit, and that she was allowed to yeah. sort of be a little bit more than just. It was nice to have anti-war sentiment at the end, and it was also nice to see how, because I don't think I've ever seen it portrayed in film. People having a debate about how the Treaty of Versailles should go down. I think that's yeah. quite highbrow for the end of your First World War movie that you show the audience that people were think actually were thinking about how Germany should be punished and you know mm. it wasn't just down to politicians it was at a so it was a social level it, it, from the top down everyone had an opinion because everyone had yeah. been affected by it and it was just really nice to see Vera have her moment to be like I'm going to cement who I am going forward and I think yeah, it, was, it was really good because I thought the movie would just fade out just fade out to nothing after because I can kind of forgot about that ending bit mm. and then when obviously they start oh that's what I wanted to notice did you guys pick up on the gun signs at the very beginning yeah you know when they're doing BBC sounds and it's the guns going off in the background yeah, it did sound it like artillery going off a little it is, bit yeah, yeah. it's artillery going off and so obviously then when they come to the end of the war again and they've got her and you're like oh, okay surely this is where it ends but it doesn't. And I really like the fact that you've got her meeting Williford um, Holtby. And that's mm. another key, key. She writes a whole testament of friendship that's dedicated to Winifred. So it was nice they introduced her, I think, mm. and how she was kind of like, spring is coming. And I love that shot of her by the tree and seeing spring is coming. This, this new life is coming. Because when Vera goes back to Oxford, originally she was studying literature. And when she goes back, and I think the war definitely affected her because she changed her degree completely. She studied history. Right. And so I always find that very interesting because I think she wants to put, she wants to like put an understanding mm. to what had happened and to understand the world and everything else. But there she is, so def- kind of defiant and wanting to speak up. And it did take her a while to set into Oxford. It's quite actually sad reading those parts of her because you feel for her and you're like, oh God, that must have been. I mean, imagine feeling left out at school, is how mm. I felt for her at that point as she was trying to make her mark and trying to fit in with people mm. but i like that and i think for, what did you guys think of the the kind of closing scene then like i thought i thought it's so powerful you know you've got the long white road and it's empty mm. you've got the rugby pitch at uppingham it's empty then you yeah. could bring her to that pond and it's just her 
And I thought it was so powerful. Like that every time makes me cry. It was just like the innocence of youth being gone and how I, th- I think that, gener- you know, obviously that generation of, of yeah. men and women mm. and everyone who was... Yeah, the lost, the, the, the rugby field made me think of the lost generation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, and it contrasts nicely with all those scenes that we've seen before of them, you know, men actually playing rugby on those fields and and the chaps swimming with her yeah. there. So it, it, it's all those sort it, of it's like a lost, secular sort of closure, isn't it? But it's all those lost moments, stark. isn't it, of life that you're not going to get, you're not going to have anymore. It's not, it's not how yeah. it. Obviously, it's for those people they're not going to have it because unfortunately they've been killed. But it's, it's more I felt how her life and everyone else's life has just been drastically changed because you know they just aren't. It's not going to be the same for a while, you know. No. And then you know you get another big war like twenty years later, and it's just like oh my gosh, you know, like we can't fathom that. So it's. To, to then reiterate it to the audience is, is just another good thing that the movie does. I thought the last line and the last, it's always stuck with me of how, I don't know, I just think whoever wrote that, it's just so powerful. And it's, what was it? It's like, they'll want me to forget you. They'll want me to forget, but I can't, I won't. This is my promise to you, all of you. And I think it taps into obviously our remembrance narrative mm. of how actually we we haven't forgot any of them. We won't forget them. And I think really when you reflect on the whole, I, it, and I agree actually, and I never really thought of what about it, the fact that the guys aren't maybe as justified as they should be in their characters and explored further. Obviously this is all about Vera, but maybe more of them could have come out within the film mm. if it was just maybe even half an hour longer. Yeah. But, I think it would have made a great miniseries as the BBC one did, but perhaps, you know, one of these Netflix limited series where they have the budget of a, of yeah. a major production yeah. and they can do all of these things that we would like to see, you know, ex- the Malta experiences. Oh, the Malta more would have more, more in, in France, nursing. I would have loved Edward. to have seen... Mm. Exactly. And I would have loved to have seen Italian more of the procedural stuff of what yeah. the nurses and the, the VADs actually were doing. Mm. Because the, that's so fascinating in a, of itself because, you know, they all had set duties and obviously the VADs weren't fully qualified nurses. So the interaction between Royal Army Medical Corps, yeah. the, the actual nurses, and then the, the, the volunteer um, aid detachment nurses, also interesting could have been brought in because obviously Vera is the go-to source because she's so eloquent in the way she writes mm. and there's so much material there from not only from the book itself, but also from all the, all of their letters. So there's so so much scope to, to have broadened out this into sort of like a, mm. a bigger piece, into yeah. like a mini series or something like that. And I still think there's, there's oh, okay. room for more of it as well. You know, there definitely is room for it again. It's, I think it's something that might get revisited. It's got all those beats that everyone enjoys. It's got a little bit of war. It's got a little bit of that love tale in there. Mm. You know, it's got that like period costume drama feel to it. Yeah. And I think that's, Something that I think maybe, I mean, this is my only, my last big criticism, really, for like final thoughts sort of thing is like, it didn't know what it wanted to be at points. Was it was it a strict retelling of the love element or was it trying to fit the war in as well? They almost couldn't pick, yeah. they couldn't pick it at times because it really, there's times I think you could be watching an episode of a BBC period drama and then there's bits where yeah. you could be watching, I forget the name of it, it came out a few years ago now, but that, that nurse's, like, tv series they did on bbc did like 
around like 2015. There was a there was yeah, a um, a World War One nurse. I can't remember its name. Series wasn't there, but it felt like I that. You know, it felt like a little bit of like, okay. what are you trying to? What yeah. are you actually trying to show me here? Like, I understand it's part of her story, but it almost needed like two parts. Like this is this is her life before. This is her life during. This is her life after. I think they tried that though, and I think. But then I think it was too slow at the start. Mm. I think if mm. it was more balanced, because like I said the whole build up from 1914 to like Roland's death. So that's the end of 1915. He dies on the 23rd of December. So that is such a slow build up. But I think, like you say, they want to show before wars introduced slowly and then suddenly it's it's everything in her life. Mm. And then it kind of quickens to be like, well, this is all all war is and it's all she really now knows and then suddenly you got that bit at the end where it's like okay and now she's going to adjust to a life without war mm, without these yeah. guys and living yeah. with these ghosts so, yeah, i think she feels a lot of war guilt she did encourage her dad to let edward stein up and obviously yes edward dies and that guilt that must she must have felt that but him being the last one as well i think of all four of them to go i think must have been so hard and like how do you guys know a bit about how he died too or the story behind it no i don't so he's in the assaggio plateau in italy and it's just said that he was shot in the head going over the top but the day before he had received a court-martial for basically relations with his men because Edward was gay mm. and Vera writes about it later on in life and there's like a fictional book and it's basically about Edward so what they then think is basically someone had found out and they then suspect that when it came to going over the top Edward's way out was just to make himself as vulnerable perhaps as possible mm. and I think there's a huge guilt played onto this because and it's again that's where his character could have been explored more that sounds, like, that a, that sounds showing... like an important movie in itself you know <laughs> completely yeah so important but like he was so musically gifted as well and we only see a bit about that at the start Mm. and like i think that that would have been nice to have touched upon a bit more i wonder if that that falls down into just writing the role and how they cast it because obviously taron edgerton's it's his on-screen debut so maybe they didn't want to give him too much just in case yeah who knows i thought he did brilliant yeah i honestly thought taron the casting is fantastic I couldn't imagine another Edward for it because I think he's just so, I don't know, from what I've read about them too, I think I'm like, he's just, he is perfect. Do you want to do like a, a quick roundup of favourite scenes perhaps before we, we come to a conclusion? Oh, What's okay. your favourite scene, Olivia? Oh my God, it's so hard. I th- I think for me, it has to be the first poem and how she's kind of remembering it, like, and how he's kind of, you see that they set up the shot before you see this long white road down between the grey hills and the heather and you kind of don't tap into it until you're you're hearing this poem and then they show it back to you through how she's kind of her senses are like that's what I find really interesting it's her sensory kind of imagination to all I think that's but then that's I think it's the romantic in me I really like that kind of mm-hmm. romantic first poem, mm. like how beautifully written it was and quite a sad little note. I've always thought it goes on a little bit more, but I always thought, oh, if I ever got married, I'd like that be a poem I'd like read at my wedding because it's very how he words it. It's lovely. Mm. What about you, Rob? Well, for me, I mean, I, I mentioned it earlier when we were when we were sort of riffing on the plot, but it's... um. In, in, in our apples or eat apples um in hospital oh. field hospital but i'll never pronounce it properly 
you know, never. Wipers, <laughs> eep, his, eep his wipers to the day I die. Um, and pl- Your accent makes it brilliant. Plug Streetwood. Uh, no, um, <laughs> but anyway, it's um, in that scene, it's just brilliant. You know, the set is the set dressing is really nice. I, I just like that the sweeping shots for all the men on the stretchers. It's it's really evocative of those really famous shots of the the war and the uh, the, the dressing stations. You see, you know, it could cut in fantastically to the end of nineteen seventeen. It has that feel. It just shows that horrible sort of. I know it's a bit cliche, but it shows the the, the destruction of the war. You know it. There wasn't a war like it before. It hadn't affected men in that way. The men weren't getting wounded in the way they were before the First World War came came around. And it, it just shows it really nicely, you know, and it, and it shows Vera's character development where she, you know, she's really out of her depth for the first time, I think. And we see the, the shock on her face, especially when Hayley Atwell, as Hope, is taking her through the dressing station. If you're not aware, as a... Uh, a viewer, you get to know that German soldiers were treated in aid stations along mm. with our with our lads. So it it's a nice little tidbit there, history wise. But yeah, that's my favourite bit, definitely. And I completely agree. I mean, that's cinematically that's my favourite scene of the whole film. I love the way that we've already been introduced to those couple of huts in the little compound when she arrives, and there's a couple of scenes. So when the the wounded start coming in, she's at the front tending to a couple of stretches and someone helps walking mood into one of the huts and we think, well, that's it. So the, 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 that's all we're going to see. They're going to cut into a hut and she's going to be doing some nursing. But then we get that lovely crane shot that we mentioned earlier and it just goes over the top of the roof. And then we get this big expansive shot, which just seems to k- keep going and going. Mm. And it's, and it reminds me so much of that, that scene from Gone with the Wind where they're at the railhead and you just got the, all of the wounded and it just pulls out and out and out and out. And it's obviously got to be influenced by it. Mm. I think Rob Hardy did a lovely job with that scene. Yeah. yeah. And for all the reasons that Rob mentions and Alicia or Vera's reaction to that is, is some of, some of their best acting in the mm. film. She didn't say a word, yeah. but you can see everything that she's thinking on her face from just seeing all of these men riding, you know, in as far as the eye can see. Yeah. So I think that was a really powerful scene. I also mm. really liked the scenes with Winifred uh, Holtby where she's, you know, talking about ghosts and we all have someone. Yeah, I love and that how one. I, th- I thought the actress that portrayed her did a really good job. Alexandra Roach. A really great job. End, of, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Oxford. Um, she did a really great job of sort of being the voice of everyone else. Yeah. And helping her come to terms with loss. When you think about it, like there's a whole generation of of parents and sisters, and brothers, they're all coming to terms with that loss. So I thought that was a, a I gave voice to that really well. So I, I like that mm. scene too. It's really yeah, it's, it's very caring, isn't it? And it's another. I think it works so well because she's another contrasted character to Vera. Mm. Vera is so cut off and cold naturally, but Winifred's also gone to France and experienced it as well at Abbeville. Yeah. So she's come over and been like, "I understand, but I'm here to help you and be your friend and comfort you." And I think that familiarity of just like basically someone putting an arm mm. over you is so powerful. Yeah, and it's also nice to have a little bit of the late war represented as well. So you've got the, that that mm. spring offensive when they mention, oh, the, the Germans are getting closer. And it's only a yeah. small thing. If you're not aware, 
and you're not aware of it, but but it isn't just nice to have it that you know it isn't just 1916 and it isn't just 1914 or Armistice mm. Day. There was a, there's a whole swathe of the First World War that never gets any mentioned at all. Mm. So yeah, just cut to the end of journeys. Exactly, end. yeah. So j- just the fact they mentioned the Italian front is a is a triumph as well. So it's it's just really nice to hear it. But yeah, I mean, what more can you say really? I think we've I think we've done a testament to youth a good review yeah our testament <laughs> that's it yeah <laughs> that's what i was trying to say testament of views yes testament of views i think really good. I, th- I think it's a solid movie definitely i think the cast is excellent and the casting so sort of the way that they brought those actors together mm. is you know very very good it's beautifully shot the script takes some liberties with the source material yeah. i think it's fair to say it doesn't every war but film really when you think about exactly. it exactly there's there's no perfect film and I think it captures pretty much what Vera was trying mm. to get across in the book. Yeah, completely. Um, and it handles some of the characters really well, to the point where you wish the film was a little longer and had a little more focus on them. Yeah. So I, I think while it's guilty of trying to hit some World War One beats, I don't think it's too much of a, of a detriment to it. Mm. But I think as well, for my sort of parting shots, it's important to have movies within the war movie genre uh, movies within the genre that aren't just, you know, men being sort of cliche, stereotypical, I'm going to run over a no man's land and bag me a hun sort of mm. thing. It's, oh God, it's yeah. nice yeah. to have that more grounded representation. It's a social aspect. Exactly, of how war affects It just people. shows how broad of a genre of war movies yeah, actually are. Yeah, and this is, a, it's important. Mm-hmm. You know, I know we always say on the pod, like, these movies are the, the key to further learning. I think my concluding thoughts on it is is that I really think you could go as far as to saying that the film itself is a form of commemoration yeah. and remembrance to Vera and to those guys as well. Agreed. I think those, as I mentioned, those final words at the end, I think it's so poignant, the fact that they really made sure it's just like, this is my promise to all of you, we will not forget you. And I think that's the kind of message that Vera wanted to hone in. Mm. And that's the message I think the directors and everyone else really come away with, that you do have that sense of, crap, we really cannot mm. forget what happened to these guys, but also to the people who live through it as well. Agreed. Yeah. And I think on that note, I think we'll wrap up for this week. So, Olivia, thank you very much for coming on. We're really, really excited. Thank you. I hear there's rumblings oh, I'm so excited. of us maybe coming <gasps> so on to your there podcast. Is. Yes. No, maybe it's happening. Oh, wow. You're on our schedule. Fan account for that one. We'll, we'll, we'll make everyone aware on the Twitter. I can't wait. I love Karki. Yes, it's a great one. Great pod. Doing a fantastic job. Oh, no, we've all come together, yes, haven't we? Yes, of course. And you haven't listened to any Karki Malarkey. And this is your this is your warning Go and listen to it now. Go and give them a follow. So much malarkey. Like. There's plenty of malarkey and it's a great name. So much malarkey. Yeah. As always, drop the podcast a like, a review, a subscription, whatever you're listening on. Find us on Facebook, uh, Fighting on Film. Find us on Twitter, at uh, Fighting on Film. And the website, fightingonfilm.com. So this is me and Olivia and Matt saying bye-bye. We'll catch you again in the next one. Bye, guys. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.